I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. So the ATP finals are over. Catherine Whitaker spent most of the day asleep, <laughs> but she's here. Awake in just the nick of time. Hello, Catherine. Just about uh, scrambled myself into the land of the living in time for the podcast. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, well, it's lovely to see you. How's your week been? Y- tiring, tiring, but good. Successful, good. Yep. 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 So, well, we've enjoyed watching you, Matt and I, uh, you know, we watch on the TV and we say, oh, <laughs> we know her. Um <laughs> And uh, yeah, no, it's been uh, it's been an interesting week of tennis that uh, we can bring you up to date with. Obviously, last time we were with you was Friday night, and we'd just seen all the uh, the group stage matches, apart from Novak Djokovic against Cameron Norrie, which, in all honesty, didn't mean an awful lot. And uh, as expected, Djokovic sailed his way through that, and uh, so that left us with. Uh, semi-finals and final to catch up on and uh good to also have Catherine on for the first time because she's been uh swanning around on tv for the last week and not had enough time for us so uh you know it's nice to see her again um yeah blame the um extra hour gap between sessions david and the hour later match start time in turin mm. Do I sense, Catherine, that of all the things that you experienced of Turin's staging, that maybe that's the one that has uh, has got to go? <laughs> the, the session timings. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I, I um, spoiler alert: I wasn't out in Turin. Our, our studios in Hounslow. We, we had uh, we had Annabelle Croft out there for us, and we were S- similar. Um, crossing out there uh, frequently, but I wasn't out there. So the time difference meant that night session matches, the night session single singles match for us in the UK was starting at 8pm, but locally they were starting at 9pm. And I, I know that cultures are different in, I'm not quite sure what it's like in Italy. I know in, in Spain, you know, everything's different. People go out for dinner far, far later than they do here. But I just think that's too late. I think it's too late. It's too late. The uh, afternoon session starts too early and the evening session starts too late. And there's a big old gap in the middle. Yep. And, well... And nowhere to nap, so it's a waste of time. <laughs> All that, that's perfectly, perfectly sort of packaged and it's, Even if of there time. was, you can't nap when you've got two, two mic packs and an ear pack attached to your waist... Um, and you can't lie down because there's all sorts of stuff going on in your hair. Anyway, mm. get the violins out for all my first world problems. Yeah. There was a lot of could have been nap time that wasn't. Yeah, although I have to say, if Catherine can't nap through that, then nobody can. Um, Matt's not here today. He's in Madrid. Uh, we'll be catching up with him in a couple of days' time when we're building up to the Davis Cup finals. He's out there for that. Uh, he's all right. Uh, he's he's successfully got himself over there and uh, he's raring to go. So I can't wait to speak to Matt about what all that's like. Um, 
Before we get on to talk about the actual ATP finals, we, we, we should bring you up to date with the latest, as we know it at least, regarding Peng Shui, because obviously it's a story we've been following all over the last week. Um, and the very latest is that we've at least seen pictures of her. We've seen video footage of her at, a, first of all, a dinner and then at um, a, a tennis event what we're told was in Beijing, and then finally in a a video call which was shown and pictured on the Olympics, the official Olympics website with Peng Shui apparently having a conversation via video link with the IOC president, Thomas Bach. And in that 30-minute call, as, as it was detailed, she's said to have thanked him and the IOC and everybody who's inquiring about her well-being and informed them that she is safe, well, at home in Beijing and requesting privacy. Um, At the end of the article, we are told that he invites her to dinner uh, in the call and that she's accepted. In that article, there is no mention of any of the allegations that she made on her Weibo account, which started this entire Um, situation and the concern over her well-being and the fact that uh, all of her her post and subsequently lots and lots of search references to her and to tennis seemed to disappear from the Chinese the internet in China and uh, it seemed that they had been in the words of many of the China correspondents for the BBC that they had been scrubbed uh, to use that terminology Um, this has not put the minds at rest of the WTA. Steve Simon again has been, or at least the spokesperson for the WTA, has again said today that this is an insufficient information for us. We we still want to, her to be able to speak and for us to be absolutely assured that she is speaking without any influence over her um, and that an investigation can take place into the allegations that she initially made. So they are still concerned. The IOC, Catherine, seemed to take a very different approach to this. Throughout, they've talked about quiet diplomacy being their way forward. I heard uh, Lord Coe this morning talking on Radio 4 on the Today programme um, and being pretty defensive of of that position and, and kind of warning against the more combative uh adversarial i suppose approach that the wta have taken the the ultimatum really that they've thrown down um but really we this this is not over yet i mean it's great to see that she's at least seemingly if those are current pictures and if they are reliable that she is okay physically but that that isn't enough is it no nowhere nowhere near um, I feel like I've learned more about the IOC and Thomas Bach in the last 24 hours than I have about Peng Shui's status. Um, it, it is, as you say, it, 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 these developments are all reassuring of her physical state. But there's still no certainty in that because uh, there, there is no absolute guarantees of the, of the verifiable of the 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 timing of these images but assuming that then it is reassuring of her physical state and nothing more um and there is an awful lot more to this um that i admire and respect steve simon for it would be so easy now with the ioc and with thomas bark getting you know proof of life as it were and let's be honest it would be very easy to go oh okay great we've done we've pat ourselves on the back we've done a good thing we've done our bit we can still salvage all our relationships and all our financial interests and move on and I think you know the easy bit is at the start saying hey this isn't right actually this is when it really gets tougher now for Steve Simon and I admire and respect him all the more that he is continuing to to stand up and not take the easy route because most of the concerns still remain. Mm. Because from what we know, 
at least, and maybe this has updated since we last heard, but we we haven't had any further information released yet. As far as we know, he still himself and the WTA and former players and current players still have not been able to reach her and uh, and be able to have a, their own conversation with her. So we wait and see. And uh, once we have more information, we'll bring it to you here on the Tennis Podcast. So the tennis... In Turin, the ATP Finals reached uh, a situation with Alexander Zverev against Novak Djokovic in the semi-finals on Saturday, and Dano Medvedev against Kasper Ruud. Now, Medvedev just dispatched Ruud with minimum of fuss, really six four six two, and then it was the match that I think a lot of us were probably expecting—a tight match between Zverev and Djokovic. I think it had I been asked. I'd have expected Djokovic to win. But in the end, it was Zverev who won. He won 7-6-4-6-6-3. What was your sense of, of what you witnessed in that match, Catherine? From I suppose from Djokovic is the interesting one because it was not the same performance we'd seen from him earlier on in the tournament. Now, was that down to him? Was that down to Zverev? Bit of both. I think there's no doubt that uh, Zverev was very, very good and, and most crucially for him, very confident. I think the fact that he beat Djokovic en route to winning Olympic gold, his biggest his biggest prize of his career so far, is very significant for him in confidence terms. Um, and Zverev plays, Zverev for me is more of a confidence player than any anybody else. He was able to be aggressive, the gremlins... The gremlins on the second serve were at bay. So without doubt, that was a factor. But there is a difference. There is a difference between Djokovic playing for a Grand Slam or a significant record that will affect his legacy than Djokovic anywhere else. Um, that doesn't mean he's not capable of being very, very good anywhere else. You know, he won, won Paris a couple of weeks ago. But en route to winning Paris, he achieved a very, very significant record, a seventh year-end number one. And after he achieved that record, the next match was against Medvedev, who he sees as his closest rival, who will be rivaling him for the world number one position next year, I think. And I I think he thinks that as well. Um, So I, I think it's not Djokovic didn't tank or not show up or anything, but there's a difference between Djokovic that's prepared to go to the dark places and the Djokovic that isn't, and uh, he would have loved a sixth ATP Finals title, but he hasn't won this thing since 2015, and I find that really significant that record because, you know, he's been incredibly dominant in a lot of the seasons since 2015. So why, why hasn't he dragged himself across the line at at, uh, at this? event and I was going to say at the O2 <laughs> still having to remind myself it wasn't the O2 because it looks so much like the O2 um, and you know obviously opponents are a big factor in that he's had close losses to Dominic team Andy Murray in 2016 of course opponents are a big factor but it's that you know Djokovic's X factor is the depth he is willing to plumb um, the the extent to which he wants it, the places he's willing to drag himself to. So when he comes up against a brilliant opponent and he's not prepared to go to those places, it's a different Novak Djokovic. Mm. Yeah, and he, he has less time in order to kind of tap into that really uh, as well because it, it can be over. That's that's the other thing. I mean, he, he found himself a set down. He played a, a loose game. Uh, or a loose few points in the first set tiebreak, and then a loose game in the third set, and, and that was that. I mean, Zverev, I think, has to be said, uh, kept an even keel, a level throughout. But then, I, but then I also think it matters that much more to him at that event. I think he he is. I said to you, probably in the first set of that match, I don't think Djokovic is bothered enough to be able to 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 mm. necessarily win this, and I and I'd, I think that that's made, that's oversimplifying it because that, it, as you said, this is not tanking that we're talking about. This is this is details. This these are this is an edge that is missing, 
um, where because when when he's got that edge, how do you beat him? Not many have tried. The, 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 that's why Medvedev's achievement in the US Open final was extraordinary because he managed to do it when it mattered to Djokovic. Stan Wawrinka managed to do it in the French Open final that year when it mattered to Djokovic. Those were extraordinary performances and I I think obviously Djokovic was impeded by his own nerves and anxiety in that US Open final and probably that French Open final to some degree but I think he was probably socked off the court most notably but these are really isolated occurrences and and yeah, I suppose you could say that maybe Zverev did it to him in the Olympic final. But again, I think that there are other circumstances at play there just in terms of fatigue. Semi-final, yeah. Yes, I, I agree. Semi-final, yes. I agree. Um, yeah, and I do, I do wonder if Djokovic was mentally derailed somewhat by what he knew was facing him after that match, win or lose, which was... Mm questions about the announcement from Craig Tiley in the Australian Open that there would be a mandatory vaccination policy for everyone attending next year's tournament, including players. That had broken the evening before our time, but just after Djokovic's uh, win over Cameron Norrie. So um, nobody had had the chance to, to question him about that. And Right, rightly or wrongly, so much of the speculation about what the uh, the vaccine situation at the Australian Open next year would be has centred around Novak Djokovic has been uh, has been hooked on the headlines of whether Novak Djokovic will be able to defend his titles, um, and that might very well be unfair but that that is the situation the first thing anybody wanted to do when that news broke was ask Novak Djokovic about it um and he he would have been aware of that I'm not sure I I don't we'll never know if that's why he lost or how big a factor it was but he will have been aware of that and he faced the question in the press conference and he gave a very spiky reply he was asked whether he will be there to defend his title in January and it was a very clipped, we'll see. Um, and in, in, indicating very clearly that is all I want to be saying on this matter. Mm. Uh, and he made the point that he hasn't been speaking to the Australian Open about his situation. He, he's, he just waited for the announcement and... The announcement has come. So he knows where he stands now. Um, and as much as Alexander Zverev might have said after their match in bizarrely contradicting terms that everybody needs to follow the rules in another country, hopefully Novak can get an exemption. He ain't going to get an exemption. That is not happening. And Djokovic knows that now. Um, I, th- I think that was a... That was a messy answer, really, from Zverev in the end. Um, desperate to try to, you know, not criticise Djokovic, but but also try to say that everybody's got to follow the rules. But look, he ain't getting an exemption, so it's up to him whether he wants to play enough, whether it means enough to him to play enough to have the vaccine, whether he's already had the vaccine and he just doesn't believe in being asked about his status. Who, who knows? Um, but, yeah, it's it's... Very straightforward now. Mm. Yeah, and look, it's been the case for everybody else travelling to tennis tournaments for a long time that you have to be vaccinated. That was the case at the US Open for everybody but the players. And there was not outrage or uproar about that. So this is just quite rightly applying the same rules to the players that apply to everybody that the players are surrounded by and coming to contact with. This will apply mm. to fans at the Australian Open. Interesting that Andrea Gaudenzi's not mm. on board with it, actually. He, he, the ATP CEO, said he doesn't think that that should be happening. He, he said, I think he said something like 80% of ATP players now, I can't remember the exact number, are are vaccinated. But he doesn't believe that, that it should be as mm. um, straightforward as that. Honestly, I just don't. I just don't think logically and morally he has a leg to stand on there. Personally, I can understand why he's advocating for that. 
in terms of what his interests are, but um, freedom of choice is, is not freedom of consequence. And Melbourne is a city that spent more lo- time in lockdown than any other internationally. Um, and I can't really see any argument that holds for tennis players getting special treatment. Mm. No, and I, and, I and and they they have been getting special treatment throughout this pandemic. Everywhere else they've been throughout this pandemic, they have been subject to exemptions. Uh, maybe not at the very start, but you know, over the course of the past year, they've been getting exemptions to travel and play these places. They've been getting special privileges. Um, and this is one instance where that won't be the case. It'd be very interesting to see where it leaves the field when when it eventually gets announced i imagine that they will just automatically enter everybody and no doubt craig tiley will tell everybody that everybody's entering everybody's playing um uh, but you know those that, entering <laughs> those that actually end up turning up um well it'll be interesting to see what number of absentees there end up being um so we'll keep a keep a close eye on that um and incidentally daniel medvedev said a few weeks ago that he he is playing the Australian Open and he'd been somebody else that was uh, status unknown um, until he said, I'm playing the Australian Open and, and made it pretty clear that he's obviously um, had the vaccine. And in the final, he faced Zverev. have to say, this was a surprise to me, this scoreline, 6-4, 6-4. Zverev had already lost to Medvedev, albeit in a very close round-robin match. But my feeling was that the two players, well, Medvedev is just a better player. He'd won five matches in a row. But that is not how this match unfolded whatsoever. Zverev jumped on him really from the start, played pretty much his best tennis, and Medvedev didn't really show up. I mean, he was he was on the back foot from the off and never really got into the match, to be quite honest, uh, is, is what I saw. What, what, were, what were your thoughts? No, I, d- I didn't really understand that match, quite honestly. Zverev was very, very good. It was extremely reminiscent of when he won the title back in back in 2018. So confident, just just such conviction on the serve and belief that, you know, if I'm serving like that, I'm, I'm okay. And he was great. Really, really, really good. You know, clear signs of improvement on 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 the volley in particular, um, and you know he was not thrashing around two meters behind the baseline. He was it was confident, aggressive tennis, which is obviously his his a game, and he's he's good at it. Um, but I was not expecting that performance from Medvedev. I I. Uh, you could say that Zverev took the racket out of his hands, but I just don't. I, that's just not how I see it. I and mean, he was missing, missing rally balls. You know, bailing out on points again. It was Djokovic, like you know, he wasn't he wasn't willing to go go deep and go to dark places. And and uh, I don't know why that was. I was waiting for the fight. I was waiting. For sarcastic Medvedev to come out with the crowd, I was waiting for you know the frustration with his performance to manifest itself physically, and none of that ever came. It was really subdued, um, bizarre, really Mm. bizarre performance from Daniil Medvedev, and I, I can't explain it. Mm. I think it might have been Annabelle in your coverage who said she'd spoken to Mishas Verev, who talked about how's how. His brother was trying to stay compact and keep things very centred and and not overdo it, not lose the rallies on his own terms, which is a, a very fine balance to, to strike. But one I think he got just right because his forehand now is, or at least this, these last few months even, is, has been far less of a liability. So of the double faults. He, he, he looks a much more secure tennis player right now. And then you add on the serve, which the first serve particularly at the ATP finals has always been a destructive shot he's always seemed to be able to hit it incredibly hard indoors at that particular tournament it was fast you know he's a formidable opponent and actually I I was mouth open wide a couple of times at just the movement of the guy A, a guy of his size being able to get around the court there were a couple of times that Medvedev was in charge of points and yet he he is a 
a hell of a scrambler, really, considering his size. And he uses his wingspan to get the ball back in, and then he turns the tables. So to me, I, I would I would say, I agree with you. It's sort of the equal of 2018. I, I don't particularly buy that this means that much for next year in terms of what it is that he wants. And what I was interested to hear was how the first words out of his mouth almost were like a sort of knowing look and knowing smile on his face as if to say, bring on next year. You know, I'm now, now I want to take this into next year. I can't wait for next year is what Zverev was saying. Personally, I, I don't think we've seen any evidence that from this tournament that there is anything that is automatically going to happen at the Australian Open, for instance. But he's definitely in in the in the hunt there. Um, and given that Sitsipas looks like he's having surgery on that on that elbow of his, Djokovic might not even be there. I suppose the the chances, I guess, therefore, of Zverev having his breakthrough are are greater than they've ever been because of that. But it, but he's still got it all to prove. I is what I ultimately feel. Same. Yeah, same. And he and he may well prove it. Um but it's still it's still there there to be proven. Uh, I don't feel I don't feel all that differently than I did after he won the title in twenty twenty eighteen. I suppose I feel like the competition for Grand Slams is is a little less than it was in twenty eighteen. The opportunities are more. Um but I feel like I've seen Zverev play that well before over best of three sets mm. um and yeah i've seen i've also seen Zverev play an awful lot worse than that over best of three sets so in terms of his future it's better for him to be playing like that than to be you know two meters behind the baseline and dumping forehands in the bottom of the net but it yeah it's still there's still questions for his tennis to answer mm. um after the match no, it was earlier today, I think, I saw the tweet of uh, Novak Djokovic directed towards Alex Zverev, which read, Alex Zverev had a tough year on and off the court. I know how much tennis helps me to grow, and I'm happy that it was Sasha's winning field this year. He is such a great guy. I can only say words of praise for him and his team. Well done for grand season finale and big trophy Sasha. Um, now, the Guardian journalist Tamani Cariol commented upon reading that as a reminder that Zverev's tough year off the court includes the fact that he's currently under investigation by the ATP for domestic abuse um, which yeah I must admit when I saw Djokovic's tweet there I th- I thought that was um, disappointing to be quite honest with you um, that that he would say something with so little apparent acknowledgement of the fact that that case is actually ongoing and maybe it would have been better to have just just held back a little bit to be quite honest at the very least um i contacted the atp this morning by the way to ask for the latest on the investigation and i was told that the investigation is ongoing um i also asked in what form the internal investigation is going to take uh, what, anything that they could tell me. And I was told we've contracted a third party with expertise in this area to assist in our investigative process and further information will be provided once the investigation is complete. So we wait and we'll wait and see uh, what, uh, what the outcome uh, and certainly what the results are that we are given I guess in due course, because we have no no time limit uh, given to us on that whatsoever. Yeah, and I think I've learnt with the um, <clears throat> the Peng Shui thing how how valuable it's been um, from a reporting point of view that that Steve Simon has been so reactive, so proactive in responding to things and giving comment and giving update to to the viewers and to journalists on the WTA's position because it enables reporting. It enables factual reporting, the fact that there is new news. 
Um, and, you know, I, I think personally, it, I believe it's very important when covering Alexander Zverev frequently and, and there is there is no science for how how often one should be mentioning the allegations. You know, the ratio of minutes spoken about Alex Zverev to minutes spent mentioning um, that he is currently under investigation for domestic abuse. There is no formula for that and I don't have the answer, but I feel very... I feel very strongly that it should should be mentioned. It's that the, the the viewer and the the tennis public should be made aware, no matter how uncomfortable that is. And updates from the ATP would make that possible. Would make it an awful lot easier for those trying to navigate their way through this horrible, uncomfortable minefield. Um, to re- to report factually on the situation and is it, isn't it the case though that unless there is actually news to update on they can't update us could they well just for example the update that you got after contacting them this morning that's still an update i didn't know that they'd they'd contracted uh, a third party to assist them in the vest- investigation i'd like to know more about the nature of that relationship is it being presided over by somebody external and independent, a, a rough timescale on it, just the format of the investigation, there's plenty that they could they could update us on and brief us on. Mm. Yeah, I, I certainly feel keeping some regular contact would be would be helpful in in that regard. Um, and uh, and look, you know, you're right. Uh, I, I will often accompany. Um, reference to Alexander Zverev's significant achievements on the tennis court, whether it be on our Twitter account or whether it be on this podcast, with a reminder of where we are with the investigation or the fact that there is an investigation ongoing. Because I I agree, I think that it's it is part of a story around or associated with him at the moment. That is just a fact. And therefore it can't we can't pretend it isn't. Um, there are definitely listeners that have asked that that have commented or got in touch with me and said they don't they don't think I should be doing that. And uh, and look, I just don't agree with that. Um, and uh, once we have uh, a resolution or a, or a result from these invest from this investigation, we will bring it to you, regardless of what that result is. It will be brought to you. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's really all there is to it. Um, on the court, he was he was exceptional. I think over the course of the uh, of the tournament, and yeah, he's had one of the best. He's had the best year of his career, and he's had one of the best years of anybody. Um, so we'll see what happens for him on the court as well next year when he's next in action. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Now, the doubles uh, was won by Nicolas Mahou and Pierre Hugabert. Uh, they defeated Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram in the final, which was another turnaround of a round-robin group match, Catherine. Is this a thing? I mean, I've seen, if you think back, I remember Federer beating Djokovic in the round-robin stages a few years ago in London and then losing to him in the final. This feels like it is something that does happen quite often. I can tell you in the singles, it has happened 19 times, including yesterday's singles final, that a round-robin meeting has been replicated in the final. And on 11 of those 19 occasion, occasions, the result has been reversed. That's very interesting. That's a good stat. Yeah, well... We That's we didn't really we didn't prepare that folks. David didn't know I had that stat. No. I didn't know David was gonna ask that question. <laughs> Sometimes things just work out. We did that without Matt. I didn't we're so pleased with ourselves. Matt's Matt's editing this now going, Ooh, Catherine. <laughs> Marvellous. We've ruined it by how pleased we are with ourselves. <laughs> Dave Matt just, you know, tosses this stuff out like it's nothing. Yeah. Straight faced. Um, <laughs> no smugness. Um so yes, it happens quite a lot, David. I don't have the stats for the doubles, but I see no reason why that general trend would be different. Well, why? What about in this particular case? Why do you think that was? I mean, we, well, we've, I, we've I know Ebert Mau said um, in their pre-final interview they wanted to face Ram and Salisbury in this final because they lost to them in the group stages. It was a very narrow defeat. I think they held couple of match points in that group stage match so and I loved that I loved that that you know they they didn't like that they lost that match and they didn't like the manner of losing it and they wanted to right that wrong in the final mm. so that was interesting and I and I I would imagine that sort of feeling um has applied to a lot of those matches um where round robin results have been overturned um it was as to be honest the whole finals day was a was a bit weird in terms of atmosphere and it was all both matches were a little bit flat um and not that competitive feeling the the scoreline in the doubles made it sound competitive i think six four seven six but it was a 7-0 and tie break in the second set and there was never really a moment where it felt like Ram and Salisbury were were sort of level pegging, let alone let alone on top in that match. Pierre Gebert and Nicolas Mou felt in control right from the word go and I don't know how much Joe Salisbury's back injury played a part in that. We had uh, Louis Kaya, the LTA uh, doubles guru, as people seem to call him, uh, on our coverage ahead of the match. And he said uh, that Jay Salisbury, had, the back injury was costing him about 10 to 15 kilometres per hour on his serve. But he sort of played that down and said, but it, it, but it's fine if he hits his spots, then sh- it shouldn't affect them too much. Well, uh, Greg Rzezki and Tim Hammond's eyes bugged out of their sockets when they heard him say that. They said, "My my God, I mean, that's... That's a massively decisive um, depletion to your arsenal. Um, and I think there was more going on yesterday than just that. And, you know, Nicola Mou had his own back injury. So um, 
Although Salisbury was the man who got broken in that first set. Yeah, I do, yeah, I don't think it's fair to put it all down to Jay Salisbury's back injury, but it certainly didn't feel like a really competitive match. Ram and Salisbury, the chemistry was off yesterday. The the, the vibe wasn't there. I mean, obviously with Eber Mayu, the vibe is always there <laughs> and I'm always here for it. Honestly, <laughs> the way they look at one another warms <laughs> my cockles. Yeah, it's restorative. Seeing seeing when they do their post-match interview and when one's talking, always look at the other one for how they're looking at the one that's oh, talking. It's lovely. Yes. And I, I, um, Pierre Rigobert said that Mao is Benjamin Button. He's just coming into his prime, he says. He's 39, isn't he? 39, yep. Oh, blimey. Well, there's hope for me yet then. Brilliant. Mm, well, they've said they plan to play on till Paris Olympics. Yeah. When he will be 42. All I need is that skill transplant that mm. I'm lacking. Um, but anyway, um, the I, I did think from, from ball one there, I felt that Salisbury and Ram knew that they had a, t- a kind of top level in them, like mm. a limit to what they were going to be able to do. And they they weren't close, really, to winning that match. And, uh, and I, But I also think it, it the similarities with the, the Zverev-Medvedev final is that they were so close, um, Mahu and Eber, and they probably, A, they have that little point to prove to themselves. They they want these guys. They, and I thought, I felt like Zverev really wanted to get one over on Medvedev after all these these mm. losses. And when you've got that close, you, you're probably just thinking just a couple of tweaks here and there. Whereas with the winner, where have they got to go? It's like, oh, same again. Mm. I, I really understand that mentally. Mm. I find it far harder... I mean, disclaimer, I'm not an elite athlete, uh, but I personally would find it hard, far harder going into that final knowing I'd won the previous one than than I'd lost the previous one narrowly. Obviously, if I'd lost the previous one, you know, one and two, I'd think, oh, God. Um, <laughs> but a narrow defeat in the previous match, I think I would find mentally easier. Mm. Again, though, not an elite athlete. no. No, that's certainly something Zverev seems to be able to do. I mean, he, he had to stomach a, a seriously heavy defeat in Paris, wasn't it, to Medvedev, and uh, and still came back and believes even after winning, losing loads in a row, that he that he can win the next one. Um, and there's not everybody who feels like that, I don't think. Um, so that's uh, that was the ATP finals. Now, one of the things that we were talking about the other week at the next gen finals were all their myriad rule changes that they employ in order to try stuff out. And today we have heard, following actually a report in Le Keep, the French sports newspaper, that the ATP are going to employ and bring in timed bathroom breaks on the ATP tour at some point in 2022. We're not exactly sure when. Um, and I I had a chat with Simon Higson of the ATP to to find out if that could be confirmed. And, and he, he confirmed that it was correct. And the rule is going to be that players will be allowed to take only one bathroom break per match, timed at a maximum of three minutes from the moment that the player reaches the bathroom, so, I mean, in New York, for instance, if you think about the whole Stefano Tsitsipas-Andy Murray match, which really brought this to a head, uh, with, with Tsitsipas going off for probably about 10 minutes, uh, and we've seen other players go off for even longer at certain points in matches, depending on where the, the bathroom is. I mean, in New York, that wouldn't necessarily be an issue because it's it's right courtside. Now, at other places, if you start in the top stopwatch from the time they reach the bathroom, you could have elapsed five minutes just get in there um but the other thing is that they're going to allow two minutes as well if a player wants to change their clothes so five minutes from the time they reach the changing rooms um and the bathroom break must be taken at the end of a set what do you think about that one Catherine? yeah i i I don't have as, uh, as strong feelings as other people about the the injustice of but there are faff related issues in tennis i would address before bathroom breaks put it that way but um yeah this sounds all right 
this this sounds like a thing that's worth trialling. I would would be very anxious about it if the WTA, if this were tennis wide. I I'm not sure that's okay, and I suppose you could argue that having having more imbalances in rules between the WTA and and the ATP doesn't feel like a good thing. You know, we already think the fact that the heat policy is different for women's tennis than for men's is annoying and just one of those strange quirks of tennis that should probably be ironed out um so but i i can't bring myself to to get either hugely excited or worked up it, it sounds like it sounds sounds decent mm. to me it's still and it also won't eliminate a lot of the problem which is the bathrooms are often way away from the courts you know, it can take minutes to get to the bathroom. So if you've got, let's say you've got a three-minute journey to the bathroom, five minutes once you're in the bathroom, changing your sweaty pants, three minutes on the way back, boom, 11-minute bathroom break. But it may just take away a little bit of the mickey-taking stuff yes. that sits a pass and one or two others. Yes. Well, a lot of players, in fact, have got up to in in recent months. Yes. So yes. We'll see, I guess. Won't we? But if this is an acknowledgement that there's too much faff in tennis, please, please, powers that be, turn your attention to other areas of the game. I.e. the bit after they walk out. And oh, my God, David. <laughs> <laughs> the, the cellophane wrapper... They have a sit about. down. They have a sit down after they've done the twenty second walk onto court. Unacceptable, unacceptable. Honestly, and, then, and they and with Zverev and Medvedev because they don't get on and there's needle and everything. It was you know they were who who can drag this out longest. You know it was it was all it was last. all alpha who can get to the net last. And Zverev Zverev's signature move now is to go to the net with a new racket or a newly strung racket in its cellophane. So he's standing there almost like doing an adver- advertisement for unnecessary plastic, which is just not acceptable. I mean, we've got a... Tennis has a plastic problem anyway. I don't know why that's not more regulated, but just waving around a bit of clearly un- unnecessary plastic and make it, making it part of your sort of pre-match faff routine is just revolting <laughs> and occasionally just sort of uh offering it in the direction of the umpire yeah. to take it if off i was the umpire him. i'd say <laughs> do it yourself and go and find a recycling bin <laughs> that'd be all, even more faff time honestly yeah. it is it's ridiculous and they do all the, the i think it's highlighted quite literally at the ATP finals because they do this amazing light show you know the whole stadium's in darkness the players are in spotlights so and and that remains the case for the coin toss which is sort of elevated to theatrical status there you know Mohammed Leoni just extending his laundry list of admin items as long as he possibly can because he's all mic'd up and you know, we did a little pirouette in one of his coin tosses. Um, Got him, but, So before that happens, after they've walked out, the the lights remain down and the 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 drama is still there. But you've just got players faffing around with a with a bench and a bag and going to get towel. Oh my god! Oh, it's 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 unreal. This this has been building up, folks. So, you know. Just the, the the arrogance and complacency of tennis to think that its viewers will stick with it through that, knowing they've still got a seven-minute warm-up or whatever it is to come. I, I am a bit surprised, given that that one was used at the next gen as well. I, I You come out and you've got to be playing within a minute of getting out there or whatever it is. I'm, I'm surprised, or having the coin toss, I'm surprised that they haven't managed to to bring that in quicker and tighten that one up. But it must be coming. I would have thought so. Blooming hope so. It's a no-brainer. There's hope, Catherine. There's hope. Um, uh, talking to people who've had to, to wait around a bit for some news, um, Alfie Hewitt has been waiting two years to find out whether the event that he plays and the condition that he has 
has had all of his life and the reason he's playing wheelchair tennis, whether it would be reclassified or not. Um, and he's found out, I think in the last few days, that he is going to be allowed to continue his career. And uh, and I'm really I'm really happy for him. I mean, he's he's only I didn't realize he's only 23 years old, yeah. Catherine. And and he was basically facing retirement um, if if they reclassified his sport and didn't let, let him play. Um, and I mean, he's he's won 18 Grand Slam titles of one type or another. Um, and so, you know, I'm really pleased for him. Uh, unimaginable to have that hanging over you, really. Mm. Just not even knowing if you, you can continue your career yeah. at age 23, that you might have it wrestled from you, yanked from you. Unimaginable. And I'm, yeah. I'm so relieved for him. Yeah, that's great news. Uh, apparently he was in floods of tears the moment he was told. Uh, you can just imagine that weight lifting off you yeah, in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, good for you, Alfie. Um, and hopefully many more big matches alongside Gordon Reed to come in the future uh, for us all to enjoy. So I think that's about it for, for tennis news um, in terms of what's going on on the court and, and the tour. As, as we've said, Matt is in Madrid, so we're going to be bringing you the best that we can from the Davis Cup finals. We've got seven podcasts uh, lined up between now and the event, the end of the event, which uh, which starts on Thursday. So we'll have a, a preview podcast on Wednesday with Matt, uh, if we can get him away from his tapas, uh, which uh, I suspect he's, uh, he's indulging in. I would be <laughs> every 10 minutes. Um, but, he's got um, Spanish roots, David. He's allowed to indulge in some tapas. Quite, quite right, um, indeed. And uh, yeah, a few, a few things on that score. Actually, if you, if you want to get tickets to go to either Madrid or Turin to watch the Davis Cup finals, unfortunately, you can't go to Innsbruck now because that's going to be played behind closed doors. But if you want to go to the other two and, and watch the knockout stages, uh, we have a code that can give you fifteen percent off tickets. Uh, tennis podcast all one word all uppercase uh, via the davis cup finals uh, ticketing website um, so we'll have a, a link for you in our show notes and uh, stick that in if you want to go and get some tickets with a bit of a discount uh, we have a few birthdays Catherine. Uh, billy jean king today yes i just sent her a, a happy birthday message and as i was typing just thought what is life <laughs> That is an astonishingly <laughs> egregious name drop, Catherine. Sorry. Sorry. Well, <laughs> actually, to be clear, I sent her a picture of my dog with the <laughs> the tagline, happy birthday. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to receive that? They almost share a birthday, don't they? Yes. Yes. The two Billie Jeans. Close. Marvellous. Mm. Well, Billie Jean King, uh, we know you're listening. Uh, or we, I hope you are. <laughs> Happy birthday. Um, and, uh, yeah. Oh, and happy birthday to Daryl, who's uh, one of our big Kickstarter backers. Daryl shares a birthday with Billie Jean King, does he? No, it was a few days ago. Oh. I forgot to tell him. <laughs> uh, so sorry, Daryl. Oh, well, if we're doing that, happy birthday to my brother and uh, his girlfriend, Millie, who also had their birthdays last week. Oh, uh, OK. How far are we going back with this? <laughs> <laughs> well... Billie Jean Canines was two two and a half weeks ago, so apparently that far. Anyone right. anyone else you want to cover? Oh, my friend Monique, that was yesterday. Oh, blimey. Okay. <laughs> Just the whole world, basically. Happy birthday, all of you. <laughs> um, and if you've got a listener out there, if there's a listener out there with your birthday, happy birthday, right. Um, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer. Rogue, Zeus and Scouse and Mousel are our mascots. Catherine is... Uh, is has finally had a record broken in the predictions because uh, she went for Medvedev and it mm. didn't happen. Um, but three in a row is not bad. Um, not and a bad. Couple of- my brother said if I'd put an accumulator on that, it would have paid off my mortgage. <laughs> I don't understand betting, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's we don't made me feel very good. We don't promote betting here on the Terrace Podcast, um, so yeah. <laughs> that's why we don't understand any of it a uh, couple more things just before we go uh, our mascot for the week is Caper mm, uh, and Caper is a four year old English cocker spaniel um, who lives with his family the Blums uh, his older brother Peter and his father Andy have been listening regularly since 2017 and 2018 respectively uh, Caper is named for his love of Cape Cod and there's a lovely picture of him there on your screen Catherine can you see that uh- 
I'm staring at it, David. Have been for most of this <laughs> podcast. Yep, love Caper. Beautiful, Marvelous. beautiful yeah. dog. Indeed. So more information about Caper in our newsletter. Sign up to that. It's in the uh, show notes, uh, the link to if you want to sign up for it. And just a bit of news. I was alluding to it last week with Matt um, that – As you probably know now, if you've been listening to us for a while, that uh, once a year we crowdfund the Tennis Podcast to keep it going, um, basically because it's a heck of a lot of work, a heck of a lot of time put in, and uh, a lot of expense as well. And the generosity and support that our listeners have shown us, all of you, really over the last uh, five years since we started crowdfunding via a Kickstarter has just been extraordinary to us and uh, frankly we wouldn't still be here talking to you right now if we hadn't had that we would just wouldn't have been able to um, so we can't thank you enough for it. Um, now rather than doing exactly the same again in December we're doing things a little bit differently this time. We are launching um, a membership scheme called Friends of the Tennis Podcast and the idea behind it is that it'll be quite similar in many ways. You'll put in whatever you can afford to or whatever you think we're worth, whatever the show means to you, etc. But we will have additional bonus exclusive podcasts just for you if you become a friend of the Tennis Podcast. So we're talking about things like Tennis Relived, um, about Q&As with us um, just for friends of the tennis podcast and uh, an additional show following every grand slam tournament we're going to just just do a bit more and it will just be for those people that are able to support us and want to support us um, because it just feels like that's the right thing to do and and it also you know we, we we need to keep this going and we reckon this is probably the best way without increasing the target every year the way we were we were having to do so and this feels like if those people want to have a bit more of us and and get more involved with us they're the ones that that will will support and uh and it'll help us to keep the rest of it going because we still intend to produce weekly shows throughout the year we still intend to produce daily shows at every grand slam tournament those will remain free at the point of view of, of download. We, we won't be charging for those. But this scheme is a way for us to keep the whole thing on the road, quite honestly, Catherine. Free at the point of view, like the NHS. Yeah. This is like your, your bonus private health insurance. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't the sort of pitch you were hoping I would do, was it? No, I'll shut up again. What yours forgot? <laughs> we don't plan stuff here on the tennis podcast. Whatever comes out, it didn't comes work out. out as well as our little stat segment earlier, no. did it? Our unplanned stat segment. No. Oh well. Where's, where's Matt? Please support us because evidently we cannot do this without Matt. Quite, quite right, and uh, basically we have to sort of pay Matt. Um, you know, much as he loves it, he actually needs to live. <laughs> So uh, anyway, uh, on that note, yeah, we'll be we'll be launching this whole thing, Friends of the Tennis Podcast, um, on I think December the eighth, which is a Wednesday. So um, yeah, once we do, we'll let you know. And if you want a reminder, if you want to be first in line, if you want to be involved, we'll still be doing all the sort of shout outs and predictions and um, intros to the show and mascots we'll be doing all that sort of thing as part of this as well for people who want to get more involved and and maybe have a bit more that they're able to to contribute um but uh yeah if you want a reminder once all of that goes live just uh yeah go to our show notes once again and stick your email address in uh on a link that you will find there thanks a lot and thanks for supporting us all year long listening all year long and hope you've enjoyed it Every step of the way, Catherine. It's been very nice to have you back. Hang on, that sounds that sounded like a fond farewell. We're we're back with another podcast in two days, aren't we? I know it's good, isn't it? <laughs> but you know, just <laughs> I'm not I'm not ready for for pathos just yet. No, We've got seven more podcasts to go yet, yeah? at least. All right, so speak to you soon. 
but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.